Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing about veganism, exercise, and sports performance. But first, a little catching up. So, Gina, what is new and exciting in Ohio? Yes. In oh, your life. So many things. <laughs> All right. First, I know a lot of our listeners take Synthroid like I do. I just want to throw it out there and see if anyone else had the same. It, it makes a lot of sense what I'm about to say. Ever since taking Synthroid, I have been ravenous, like hungry all the time. I feel like I'm breastfeeding again. It is insane. I wake up and I'm starving, which I never am starving in the morning. I, I'll eat lunch and then within an hour, I'm hungry again. I, I do not love this symptom. I do realize that Synthroid replaces your thyroid hormone. And oftentimes when you're low thyroid, you have a sluggish metabolism. So in theory, it probably speeds up your metabolism a little bit, but oh my gosh, I, I'm just hungry all the time. So I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what other people have to say. And at, I really want to know if this symptom goes away. I'm guessing that I'll kind of get used to it. And after a while, I, I won't even notice it, but whew, for now it's, it's rough. I'm sort of eating our family out of house and home at this point. <laughs> Nick opened the refrigerator earlier. He goes, didn't we just go to the grocery store? Now, granted, it's not all me, obviously, but I feel like we go through so many groceries so fast and I'm not even looking forward to it when the kids are older. So that's one thing. Swim lessons is another thing. For those of you who are new to the podcast, Paige, my, my uh, five-year-old, is definitely a highly sensitive child. I've never once brought her to a like a, an, an activity, an after-school activity or a sporting, um, you know, a swim lesson or a gymnastics class where she has actually participated without clinging on to me for dear life, other than ballet, which she's been doing for about six months. So she's finally used to it. So I brought her to a swim lesson. I did excuse me, sign her up for private lessons because she would never in a million years do the group lessons, believe it or not. But even private lessons, I've tried to put her in and she has cowered in fear, not wanting to do the private lessons. So we talked about it for a long, long time. And I brought her yesterday and I was just so proud of her. She managed to get in the water and it was actually, it was a guy. I thought I had signed up for a, a lesson with a girl, which I just thought she'd be more comfortable with a female. Um, but it, it was a male and she did just fine. I was so proud of her. She even um, did some floating on her back and things that she's not normally very comfortable doing. So kudos to Paige. I'm super excited about that. And I hope that's a sign of, of good things to come. That's awesome. And then lastly, yeah. Lastly, we have not talked about this, but I feel like we need to mention a little bit about Bachelor. I know you have not watched it at all, Nicole, correct? Yes. And it sounds like I missed the word, like this was the season to not miss, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I will say I really loved Peter from Hannah's season, but I do not love him as a bachelor. And I think my guess is a lot of people probably agree with me. I don't understand what he's looking for in a woman. He, spoiler alert here, he, one of the girls that he has um, in the top three is a girl that it, it, it's the villain basically of the season and not necessarily a villain to the other females, but to the audience. Like we watch her and think, what in the world do you see in this person? Like. He's going to watch this, his season back, you know, 10 years from now and think I, I was completely, I must've completely lost my mind, you know, during that, you know, two months, uh, however long it takes. 
There's no way he is coherent during this. She is absolutely the worst person for so many reasons. I just do not understand it. And then the other two girls that he has are, you know, they're fine, but I just, I just don't understand. I, I thought I knew Peter. I thought we were tight, but I just don't understand what, what he sees in this girl. He's just not the man he thought he was, is he? He is not. He's not. I was considering going on the show for him. But boy, am I glad I didn't. <laughs> well, it sounds like you'll know why that one ends in divorce, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I've, I've, I've listened to some reality, Steve, and I'm pretty sure he's not going to pick her at this point when we record, this is actually the night of women tell all. So he's still got three women left at this point. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, I hope that he ends, I hope it ends up good. I've, I've, again, I've been watching, listening and reading some fantasy, fantasy suites. No, they've already had fantasy suites. So women tell all is today. And the next week I believe is like, they'll, They'll meet his parents, right? Oh, I didn't think he got, I haven't watched in a while. I I only thought he got to rock three women's worlds. I, I didn't realize it was, it was four. My I remember my mom going, seriously, Nicole, he's going to go sleep with all four women. I was like, I'm just, I don't know, mom. She's like, do they test these people before they go on the show? You know, my mom just like freaking oh. out. Well, no. So there are only three people left. And only three women went to the fantasy suite. Oh, okay. Okay. It okay. wasn't four. Okay. So there were three people who went to the fantasy suites, three women. And then after women tell all there's, okay. So the, they ended the last episode, I believe, um, right at the rose ceremony, if I recall, and they never finished it. So at the start of the next episode, he's going to eliminate one. Oh, so you don't know who was bad in bed yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. You so have to, you so have to watch it, Nicole, because what you just said, yeah, you just got to watch it. I will. I will. You I'm haven't ca- listened to anything about The Bachelor at all this season? Oh, I mean, I hear it, but I just tune it out because I'm not watching for one of the okay. first seasons ever. I Okay, I, I'm committed. I'm going to do it. You've got to watch it. Okay. And then they just announced who The Bachelorette's going to be, and her name is Claire. And she was she's actually, I believe she's 36, which is great. Like, usually The Bachelorettes are in their early 20s and say like every other word. So I'm very impressed. She was on Don Pablo, Don Pablo, Juan Pablo, Juan, Juan Pablo, Don Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drinking tonight? <laughs> I'm not. I wish I could say I was Juan Pablo's season. Do you remember her? She was blonde, real cute. I, I, I liked her. I don't re- know, but I remember he was a total, you know, oh, what? the worst, the worst. I hated that season. But if you go back, if you look, if you Google the next Bachelorette, you'll see her. I bet you'll remember her. I bet she doesn't um, look 36. She looks real good. Although 36, I mean, come on, I'm 37. And you look <laughs> She amazing. looks good, but 36 is super young. So she looks good, obviously, because she's not old. Um, but yeah, she looks, she definitely looks like she could fit in on the, on, you know, the Bachelorette cast. Yeah. But Demi from like a season or two ago, she was like 23 or something crazy. Yeah, a lot of the women on this season are as well. In fact, one of the girls that Peter has left is 23. Oh my gosh. One of the three girls. And I think the other one is 25, I want to say. They're both very, very young. Babies. I got married at 23 and I don't even think that should be legal. I mean, it it's it was all it's all good, right? We had dated forever, but 23 is young to get married. Looking but back, see, I was like difference. not ready. Well, you dated forever. I mean, that makes a difference. I would never in a million years let my daughter get engaged to someone that they just met a month prior at age 23, let alone any age. Honestly, I wouldn't, but 23, you're not even, 
you're not even fully mature. You probably just graduated college. You haven't experienced a lot. I mean, what the heck? Doesn't make sense to me. But that's why it's a TV show. <laughs> totally. All right. What's new with you? Okay, just a few quick things. Um, I have signed up to coach a girls hockey clinic starting, I think it's in April. It's just like six weeks. Uh, but I've kind of just been felt like my heart has been pulling, being pulled towards coaching, uh, particularly girls. And so we'll see how that goes. Um, my girls are back in swimming lessons and that's going well. Shay loves swimming. She's so good at it. And hopefully Piper can kind of catch up. We'll see. But Shay was saying that she wanted to stop tennis and ice skating, but then she did really well at her last skating lesson. And now she wants to keep skating. So I don't know all these extracurriculars. I tell you, I, I keep thinking I'm going to get a pay raise after, you know, the daycare bills go down and then it, the extracurriculars just uptick. And I think I'm, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. And then I played in an autism uh, charity game this past weekend. And it was really cool. It was at Notre Dame Stadium, which I've never played at before. Super cool stadium. The game. So there was two levels. It was a rec level and then an advanced. And most mm -hmm. of my friends from here locally, we went down and played the rec game. And holy crap. It was so fast. I, after the first shift, I was like, I'm going to die. Um, I was playing defense, which number one, that's bad. I play forward. I made one good defensive stop and fell on my right hip. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was doing like the little, like lifting my knee, trying to like get my like hip flexor back <laughs> in like alignment. I, whatever I can do on hockey skates between like while the whistle was blown. Um, so then after 10 minutes, my hip was okay. So then I got moved to forward. I was like, okay, all right, friends, like we're, we're all in the positions we're meant to be in here. And then I took a slap shot right to the, like my forearm. It was on a pad and everything. I'll upload a picture, but it's, it is black and blue. It hurts so bad. I just, oh. I got beat up. So then we just went and had a couple um, mama juices and then returned for the Notre Dame Michigan state game. It went into overtime. It was a really good game. So it was fun. Nice. Um, but I always say class. I get hurt playing tennis, not hockey. And now I'm eating my words because I, I got beat up <laughs> playing hockey. I know. <laughs> it was bound to happen. So, well, timely to talk about sports because today we are going to talk about exercise and kind of those who are a little bit even kind of, kind of any, anything between, uh, regular exercisers to athletes. And so plant-based lifestyles, we know are gaining popularity, including vegan lifestyles, uh, statistically on the rise big time. And often we see that exercise and sports performance are correlated with protein, 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 and especially animal-based proteins. However, the question is really, does that need to be? Are meat eaters or omnivores able to gain a competitive edge because of their diets um, that are high in high biological value protein sources? So we know that animal proteins are complete sources of protein, meaning they have all of the essential amino acids. However, elite athletes like Tom Brady, former heavyweight champion boxer David Hay, and then Venus Williams, just to name a few, are vegans leading their respective sports and performance. So whether you're a vegan, a committed exerciser with interest in a plant-based lifestyle, or an elite athlete looking for a competitive edge by way of nutrition, we hope this episode brings you just some increased knowledge around the topic. So um, Gina told me I was getting really sciencey, and that's <laughs> totally true. Um yeah. But before we kind of get into all that, let's talk sports just a bit. What sports do you enjoy watching and do you have any sports idols, Gina? Mm -hmm. I like this question. I don't. <laughs> I love sports. I've, I grew up with, a you know, a sports focused family. 
I would say I'm not a huge sports watcher, but I do love, of course, to watch OSU football. Love, love, love it. Uh, and I also like to watch the Indians baseball, especially when they're at the World Series, when it really matters, because the Indian, you know, baseball season goes forever. So it's almost like does one game really, it's like basketball. One game doesn't really matter that much. So it's really when it gets down to it, like, you know, March Madness or the World Series, when I really start to get into it. I don't really have any sports idols that I could think of. I do have a crush on Francisco Lindor, who is the shortstop for the Indians. Oh, love me. I always, I say, I always tell Nick, he's my Lindor chocolate. <laughs> Yummy. I'll have to Google him. I don't know who he's he is. God, yeah. Good looking. What man. about you? Love it. I mean, or maybe, maybe I call him my Lindor truffle. That's what I call him. My Lindor truffle. <laughs> a little truffle. <laughs> Just want a little bite. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I would watch the sports ahead of nearly anything, which is probably why I'm so behind on The Bachelor. I think I'm still trying to watch the French Open. Um, but I would say I most enjoy watching college football and college basketball and then definitely tennis. Uh, I do like watching hockey, but I just prefer to watch live or play, of course. Uh, and then as far as like idols, I'm pretty smitten with the Williams sisters. I just think that, well, one, they're, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're pretty old now. I mean, Venus is well into her forties mm -hmm. and I mean, she, so she's played professional sports for like two decades. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and then Gael Monfi is a Frenchman who plays tennis and he, he is just so fun to watch it. He's mm. just a hoot. Um, and then years ago, I would say it was Brendan Shanahan who was a left winger on the Red Wings for many, many years. Uh, and yeah, so I don't really have any sports idols otherwise I don't know okay but mine are more performance-based uh not looks-based Gina <laughs> I, know. Um, I told you so. they're not idols just crushes that's all I got <laughs> no it's all good so what about growing up did you play sports and I'm curious was nutrition incorporated in any way yeah Okay. So starting in third grade, I played softball. I played softball, I would say all the way through ninth grade. And then I went to an all girls school that didn't have a softball team, which is ludicrous. Although I really was not that good. So I don't know that I would have made the team anyway. I was always super fast. That was my strength. I could catch a fly ball in a heartbeat and I was super fast. So even if I hit the ball barely, I could still make it to first base because I was a sprinter. That being said, I also did track for a couple of years where again, I sprinted and I did lacrosse as well. Again, oh. my, my speed was really my only, and I always had good aim as well. I, I was pretty good with aim. Uh, and no, there was no mention of nutrition whatsoever. In fact, I had to quit the track team and that's why I played lacrosse eventually because I had terrible stress fractures. And this was right when I started, well, I, I don't want to say it's really when I started eating less and, um, tuning into my body more in the worst way. Uh, so I think if someone would have just told me or gotten me some help, you know, hey, Gina, maybe you need to eat something, that would have been beneficial because I really never once considered that my stress fractures had anything to do with what I was putting in my mouth or I guess not putting in my mouth, which is kind of sad. I mean, that seems like an obvious thing, uh, especially when it was pretty, I think it was pretty clear to a lot of my friends that I wasn't really eating, but no one else seemed to really notice. But yeah, it was, it was not really mentioned at all. Yeah. Oh, and I guess I should also say that was about when I, I dabbled into vegetarianism, not because of anything other than I just thought it was the best diet to be on and a good way to lose weight. 
So probably not getting enough protein. I'm sure I wasn't getting enough protein. And I believe I was also iron deficient. Yep. Huh. Well, yeah. interestingly, I was a figure skater. <laughs> did you know that, that about me? That is so interesting. I did not know. Um, yeah. Very early on, I would say early grade school until about the age of 12, um, at which point I transitioned to hockey. So I was actually a pretty good figure skater, but... <laughs> My body shape just wasn't really, it wasn't conducive to figure skating. Let's put it that way. Um, that's, you know, really the point at which I I was struggling a lot with my weight. Uh, but I love the exercise. I loved the rink. I loved the people. And I lived two blocks from the ice rink in Chicago. So I, my brother had actually started playing hockey. And so I transitioned to hockey. And I recall no mention of nutrition when I played hockey, but I remember very specifically after having, like having started losing weight in high school. Um, I took up running and that's actually kind of how my weight loss journey started in many ways was I would over the, over the summer, kind of between freshman and sophomore year, I started running like a block further each day. And by the end of the summer, I was running a 5k. And at that point, my Mm -hmm. skating became, became a lot better. And I had not, I always hated running. Like I was the kid who was sick when we had to run the mile. Um, but I joined the cross country team because it was the only, (laughs) oh, you too. You hated running. Oh gosh, yes, I hated running. Yes. Oh, really? I was a sprinter. I was a sprinter, not a long distancer. Yes. Huh, interesting. Well, at my high school, which was huge, I graduated with, you know, there was like 4,000 kids at the high school, Uh, but the cross country team had no cuts. (laughs) So when we showed up to to cross country meets, it was literally like eight buses, like four for girls, four for boys. It was insane. Mm -hmm. Um, So I joined the cross country team and nutrition was definitely mentioned primarily hydration and then carb loading the night before a race. And we'd have even have like team spaghetti dinners. It was, it was definitely talked about, um, which was interesting. Um, So those are just kind of some fun questions to, to get us into the topic, but I found a great resource. It's linked in the show notes, but it's called Vegan Diets, Practical Advice for Athletes and Exercisers. And it's from a great resource, Journal of International Society of Sports Nutrition. So a good, credible source, uh, pretty timely uh, in 2017. It's extremely thorough, pretty high level. So hopefully I don't get two in the weeds here, but I thought it'd be helpful to break down some, um, some of it and kind of piece out the parts that would be most digestible pun intended, haha, for our <laughs> high fiber consuming friends. Um, and as I lose my spot on our spreadsheet here, oh, I jumped away to the top. I apologize. Um, but of course I think we can quickly start with carbohydrates and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because vegan diets are adequate and ample in carbohydrate by nature. They're also extremely high in fiber. And so for this reason, early satiety and digestibility can be problematic, especially for exercisers and athletes. So the, and then the effect of carbohydrate consumption, which is hotly debated during, uh, before and during short duration, high intensity sports is ambiguous. However, strong research supporting carbohydrate feeding about an hour to right before uh, exercise has been indicated for events lasting longer than 30 minutes. So just something to keep in mind if you are doing some high intensity training or high intensity exercise that's that's going to last longer than 30 minutes, a, a snack, if you will, uh, prior to that is is going to be helpful. Um, anything to add on carbs or should we move on to protein? No, I think we can move on. Okay, cool. Um, so protein, I, this was news to me and I don't know if it would be to you as well, but the recommendation for protein for vegans and vegetarians 
is 1.7 to 2.0 grams per kilogram uh, versus one gram for those who are non-athletic vegetarian population. And so the reason for this, and just for reference, the RDA for the general population is closer to 0.8 grams per kilo. So we're looking at slightly more than double, really. And the reason for that is the dig- lower digestibility of plant proteins. Um, also, we this was news to me, but combining protein sources, we learned this in school, I learned this in school at least, that you combine protein sources to achieve a complete amino, essential amino acid profile, and that that's actually dated recommendation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We learned that too. You had to eat them together in the same meal, like beans yep. and rice, yep. peanut butter and bread. Yeah but that is not the case anymore. You don't have to eat them in the same meal. It's good to get them both in your diet, but they do not have to be consumed at the same time, which in reality, does that even make any sense? Like why would it have to be consumed at the same time? It yeah. doesn't make any sense. It, it does, you know, because amino acids, they don't just like poof, go away. Like no. they're, they're still in your body. Like, yeah. so, um, it's oh, so interesting. Like when did that change though? I feel like it was actually... I feel like even when I was in college or maybe even in grad school, it was slowly starting to become not science-based. Interesting. Um, And they started taking that back. (laughs) It wasn't, I mean, soon after, it wasn't soon after, it was soon after I learned this is how you're supposed to eat that I learned that's actually not true. So interesting. I I guess Mm -hmm. I haven't given it much care or attention since that time. I, I tend to not work with this population. I, we, I live, we live in the Midwest. Like we have a lot of meat eaters and yeah. I would say mm-hmm. my patient population is definitely one that they are omnivores. I, I very rarely come across a vegetarian or vegan. So th- I, there was some learning here yeah. for me. What about the protein? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I work with a lot more. I am also in the Midwest, but since I work for a college university, you know, in, in a college university setting with a lot of college students, lots of, uh, of vegetarians and vegans, I would say. So this yeah. is good. What about the protein digestibility corrected amino acid Mm. score? Oh, that's a mouthful. So PDCAAS. And it's a metric used to rate the quality of proteins based on their digestibility. Yeah. Any experience with that? No. So I saw this on, on on the show notes and I looked it up. I've never actually worked with it directly, but I realized as I was looking through, you know, the internet and my resources that I have, that basically all the charts that we have for the amount of protein that is in certain plant-based protein sources are based off of this. So if you look up best protein sources for plant, you know, plant-based protein sources, they're going to give you a list of, you know, the top, you know, 10. And that is based off of the score. So I guess I've indirectly used it. Yeah. I haven't seen it mentioned by name, but that makes complete sense to me. So interesting. Um, What do you think... Do you, what are some of your favorite vegan proteins that are also complete proteins? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, first of all, I asked a sports dietitian that I work with at Ohio State about the PDCAAS score. She never responded to me. So wah, wah. maybe she will and I'll give you an update. I'm just, I was just curious to see what she would say. Um, but I would say the best complete protein vegan sources would definitely be soy. I mean, that's number one for sure. Grains and legumes generally have some type of a limiting amino acid. Typically, it's lysine or leucine. So basically, it's missing one of the nine essential amino acids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so gr- also great sources, grains, legumes. I, I know that 
for, you know, a plant-based diet, it's highly recommended that you get at least, you know, two to three servings of legumes a day. That's going to be your best source. Soy also being a legume, really. But soy is going to be the only one that's complete. Also, nutritional yeast is a complete protein. So definitely not something that you can add as a main part of your meal, but it could be a nice little garnish that you can sprinkle on your meal or incorporate into your meal that is a complete uh, uh, source of protein and amino acids. They need to make like nutrition yeast meatballs. That that would be so yum. Yes, <laughs> that's a great idea. Or just put it on your meatballs with your sauce, which is what I do. <laughs> so funny. Um, <laughs> or you can make them vegan balls, I guess. Vegan balls. <laughs> we probably shouldn't make them meatballs. I mean, you could, but. You use chia quite a bit. It's a complete protein. Is it? I'm pretty sure. It might be. You you might be right. I I don't I don't know. I don't consume chia for the protein. I consume it more for the omega 3s. Yes. I'm going to have to verify that as you continue talking. Okay. Um quinoa. Mhm. Edamame, which is soy, of course. Um I also found a sourcing hemp seed and then Com- combined, if you combine them together, pita and hummus. So just like you were saying, the mm-hmm. lysine and leucine. Uh, so those complement one another. What's what one is high in uh, or, or deficient in, the other is high in. So, um, so I would say takeaway on protein is because of the lower digestibility of plant proteins um, and the increased needs for athletes and exercisers, it, it, you're looking at about double the RDA. So somewhere in that 1.7 to 2.0 grams per kilo. So quick little math. If you divide your weight in pounds by 2.2, you would then multiply that number by just say 1.8. I mean, if you kind of just split the difference, um, and depending on the type of exercise and the goals, um, you know, if you're vegan versus vegetarian, all that kind of stuff is, is going to kind of point you in the right direction as far as um, what what number of grams would be appropriate for you. So any verification on my chia? Yeah, so you are correct. Chia is a complete protein. Cool. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I would also throw out there as far as if you're a listener and you are not an elite athlete or, you know, you exercise, you know, five like me, I exercise five days a week. If I was plant based vegan. I would probably use the recommendation of 1.5 to 1.6 grams per kilogram. You know, so that takes the, you know, basic RDA, which is 0.8, and it basically doubles it, but it's not as high as, you know, an, an elite professional athlete might be, which is 1.7 to one, to 2. Would you yeah. say that? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. so maybe 1.3 to 1.5 if you're just, you know, a, a regular exerciser like you and I, Nicole. Recreational, uh, recreational Correct. athlete. That's a good word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that makes me feel way better. Um, <laughs> I like that. Cool. So as far as fat recommendation for exercisers and athletes, it's, it's largely unchanged from 30% of the daily caloric intake, which th- I don't even like this range because it's so big. It says a half to 1.5 grams per kilo. I mean, that's the hugest range ever. Um, mm. <laughs> but about 30% of your calories should come from, from fat. And that's, that's across the board, regardless of kind of your exercise or, or athlete status. And of course, in this population of vegans and vegetarians, that's going to come from nuts, seeds, avocados, and oils. Uh, and you know, you mentioned omega-3s already, but we know that those are underconsumed in the Western diet and vegans in particular about half. And I think we mentioned this on a, on a, recent podcast, but only about 8% of ALA is converted to EPA and only a half a percent is converted to DHA, mm-hmm. uh, which is 
I mean, supplemental ALA has been shown to increase uh, EPA levels, but it doesn't really affect the DHA. So for that reason, things like microalgae oil is used as a supplement for many, and it has been shown to increase both EPA and DHA. So an intake of anywhere between one and two grams a day of combined EPA DHA uh, at a ratio of two to one, it has been suggested for athletes. So I know that's a lot of information, but I would say omega-3s are an area of opportunity for the diet to look at supplementation. Yeah. And I would say, especially if you are a pregnant, you know, vegan yep. female, I would, that's going to be extremely important because that's really the key time that I can think of where EPA and DHA is going to be important. It's not an essential fatty acid, but it does have benefits, yeah. especially when you're growing another human. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so while I was doing this research, Gina, and it focuses on athletes, do you feel that these recommendations just for the general public uh, are helpful or do you generally feel that EPA and DHA is adequate? I mean, you in, mentioned in pregnancy. Our, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really don't. Really, the best way to get enough EPA and DHA in your diet is from fish. And obviously, when you are a vegan and you don't consume fish, that is going to be very difficult. So, yes, it's. I, I think it's super important if you're going to follow a plant-based diet to either take a supplement or, you know, I don't know what you'd have to do, double, triple your ALA consumption, your plant-based omega-3. But the reality is EPA and DHA, even though it's important, it does help reduce inflammation. It's good for your eyes, good for your heart, um, chronic disease prevention. That goes back to the inflammation even though it's good for that, it's not, it's not necessarily essential. So really the most important time is when you're growing a baby, when you're having a baby, or maybe if you're trying to reduce your triglycerides, because there is like a therapeutic dose of those, in which case, yeah, it's going to be super important to find a good plant-based source of those. Um, I don't think I'm even answering the question. I think I'm just rambling at this point. Um, do I feel that these recommendations could provide benefit for the general population? I guess I don't understand the question. Well, so here's one. This is kind of what I was thinking in, in okay. formulating the question. Mm-hmm. You know, the Mediterranean diet and the DASH diet are touted for their improved ratio of omegas, omega-3s to omega-6s. So basically, I mean, the Western oh. diets are are huge in in omega-6s. And yes. vegetarian and vegan diets for sure. I mean, all the more so, right? So I think mm-hmm. the, the goal being, can we get a better ratio of the threes to sixes by way of supplementation? And does that, mm. does that have benefit? So I, I mean, mm-hmm. when we talk about like lifestyles, I won't call them diets, but those are the two that have really quote stood the, stood the test of time and, and really shown scientific promise for, for being a lifestyle worth worthy of, of mention for sure and consideration for its nutritional kind of um, makeup. And so I just personally, my, my mind just goes to, yeah, how can we get those omega threes in the vegan and vegetarian population? Yeah. I actually was doing some research and I found a really good, because not all vegan supplements are created equal. I will just say that. Yes. And you do also want to make sure that you're looking for a third party, um, a third-party verification program. So either the USP or what's NFA or NSA, National Safety Association, I believe is what it stands for. But a really good one that I found is called HIPPO7. That's H-I-P-P-O-7. And I feel as though compared to a lot of the other vegan supplements that I saw online, this one had the most bang for your buck. And it came with DHA, EPA, a good amount of iron, um, B12, whereas other vegan supplements that I saw had a couple of those, but not all of them. 
So this is a good one. I think it's worth at least looking into Hippo 7. Yeah. And again, it has your DHA and, and EPA. You also want to make sure that your prenatal vitamin has that. I will say I did not, I was not great at taking DHA when I was pregnant. I probably took it off and on. I could have done better. It, it It's just, it's important. And it's not in all prenatal vitamins. I, th- I think it should be. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, agreed. Um, All right, a bit on iron. Not a whole lot of conversation here, but just some information. Vegan and vegetarian diets that are rich in whole grains and legumes. So that's that's the key there. Rich in whole grains and legumes, not just junk. They mm-hmm. Those diets have similar amounts of iron as compared to an omnivore diet. So while bioavail- bioavailability may be an issue with some of those plant-based sources, the body seems to regulate iron absorption based on blood concentrations of that mineral. So that's super interesting. And the same is true for calcium. So we see iron recommendations are about 80% higher for vegetarians and vegans, which just to put, give you a number, 14 milligrams for males and 33 for females, um, with the RDA being eight and 18 respectively. So non-heme or non-blood, if you will, vegetarian or vegan sources of iron combined with vitamin C, we know enhances absorption of iron. Um, while there are foods or beverages, if you will, such as tea, coffee, and cocoa, uh, that can inhibit, uh, iron absorption. So those things should be avoided if you're eating an iron rich meal in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess that's just, I don't want to say it's a myth, uh, but a wholesome vegan or vegetarian diet is, is actually pretty solid as far as iron. So, hmm. yeah. I would agree with that. Um, what about some some vegan high iron meals or snacks that can contain vitamin C? Any recommendations? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that contain yeah. So I, I wrote on here because I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head. I will say there are things like tomatoes and green leafy vegetables that have a, an okay amount of iron and also vitamin C. I generally just recommend doing something simple, simple. If you've got a plant-based source of iron, just squeeze a little bit of lemon or lime on top or have a favorite citrus-based dressing that you either make or purchase that you can kind of sprinkle on top. Have a thing of bell peppers, which has the highest amount of vitamin C compared to basically any fruit or vegetable or, you know, have any fruit or vegetable really paired with your source of iron and you'll, you'll be good to go. Most fruits and vegetables have some vitamin C in them. So that's usually the recommendation that I give. Four ounces I really, of oil, orange juice. Four ounces of orange juice? Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, there you oh. go. Yes, exactly. You don't <laughs> even need the four ounces. It can even be two ounces. I mean, just yeah. take a little shot of OJ. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little shot of oh, just OJ, nothing else. And it's just, just got to be OJ. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I really couldn't think. Could you think of anything that's high in iron, it's plant-based and vitamin C other than some vegetables? Maybe yeah, there's something that's glaringly I definitely obvious. Think, I think of citrus and bell peppers as well. And I, I, you know, things like salad, making sure that there is a vitamin C source on there. So it could be like mandarin orange slices, or like yes. you said, like you're making your own citrus dressing or it's tomatoes on top. Um, or yeah, just having some juice to go along with it. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a whole lot. We're not looking to like bump up the sugar in the diet like crazy, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, I think don't overthink it. Exactly. You'll probably be fine. Like you just said, Nicole, as far as iron, but it never hurts to take an extra iron supplement. You do need to be careful though, because too much iron does have negative effects, especially on your heart. 
And especially if you're a male, because females menstruate. So we do get rid of some of that iron monthly. So if you are going to choose a a vegan plant-based iron supplement, or even if you're not plant-based vegan and you want to take iron, just be careful how much you're taking. Don't take mega doses. Most supplements don't have mega doses. But this is a reason why when women say they still take a prenatal vitamin, even when they're not pregnant or breastfeeding, I get a little weary because you can get too much iron. There is such a thing as that. Yeah. Just be careful. Yeah. So this question, I think, caught us both off guard, but I learned some stuff uh, as I was doing this this research. So I asked, do do you have any experience with, okay, I'm going to spell it L-I-C-H-E-N-S, and it's pronounced Lacun's derived vitamin D3 uh, supplements. So it's a popular vegan supplement because D3 is typically from animal sources. Uh, so D2 is not, but it's less bioavailable. And so vegans are kind of flocking to this Lacun's derived vitamin D3, vitamin D3 supplement. And I've never heard of such a thing, uh, but glad to know it. Is it, is it derived from a plant? Obviously. Yes. Is that the plant? Lacun's? Don't know. Or is that a mushroom? Because I feel like the only source, the plant source of vitamin D that I'm aware of is a mushroom. I don't think so it's I'm a curious. mushroom. Okay. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before, but hey, check it out. Late, late, say it again. Lacons. Lacons. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> it's probably lichens. I have no I know, idea. That's what, that's what it looks like. Lichens. Lichens. <laughs> I have no idea. I love how we know nothing about this. This is so interesting to me. I mean, I'm not vegan. So, um, and like, like I said, I don't really work with this population, but, um, slide into our DMS. If you got some more info, cause, um, I did, I mean, I didn't even think about, I mean, obviously we get vitamin D from the sun, but I never right. really thought about supplements not being vegan. Yeah. Yes. And I've had this actually question from students that things that we tag as plant-based and I keep going back and forth saying plant-based and vegan because we're trying really hard where I work to call things plant-based, not vegan. So sometimes I go back and forth with it. But when we tag things as being plant-based, sometimes we'll get students who reach out and say, um, where is the D, uh, the vitamin D source from? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't look that far into things. The majority of people that I know who are vegans don't really care where their vitamin D3 comes from. I will just say that. The pe- of the people that I've met, that's my story. Interesting. Um, I don't know if that's true population wide, but of the people that I talk to, the majority do not care about that. I will also say though, even though D2 is less bioavailable, it does not mean that it's not good to take it. If you don't want to, you know, go search for this Lacun stuff for your D3, it is okay to take vitamin D2. You're still going to get a good amount of vitamin D. It will turn into vitamin D3, right? Yeah. Isn't that what happened? Yeah. So even though- assuming your kidney function is good. Yeah. It's not like a one-to-one ratio but you're still going to get a benefit from taking D2. Don't think that it's it's not helping you at all. And my recommendation would be if you are following a vegan diet and you want to just try D2 as a supplement, try it for a couple months and then go get your vitamin D um, tested right. and see how, how it's looking. And if it's still low, you know, maybe look for this Lacon stuff or increase your dose of D2. Yeah. Or in seasonal probably too. Um, True. Definitely. Uh, all right. Cool. Learn something new every day. Uh, <laughs> all right. B12. So this deficiency is most common. It's the most commonly seen deficiency among vegans. It is synthesized. And I'm just including this because I find it 
because I'm a nerd and it's interesting. But B12 is synthesized from anaerobic microorganisms in the rumen of cattle and sheep. And so humans typically consume that preformed cobalamin, which is B12, from animal products. Uh, just fun fact of the day. So there was an, it's called the Epic Oxford Cohort Study that found 50% of vegan participants were B12 deficient with another 21% classified as having low levels of B12. So that's a lot of vegans that need some more B12. Um, however, the B12 levels between those who supplemented and those who did not were no different, suggesting that supplementation huh. was not sufficient. So that's really interesting. Huh. Uh, the body has a limited capacity to absorb B12 orally because it's limited by intrinsic factor. And if you care, that is a glycoprotein mm-hmm. that's secreted by the stomach parietal cells. I know Eugenia's like, here we go. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> So, <laughs> my medical nutrition therapy book is now away. And so, for example, a 500 microgram oral supplement of B12, only about 10 micrograms is going is likely to be absorbed. Um, so the DRI for your average adults um, is 2.4 and vegans are recommended to consume upwards of six micrograms a day. Okay. All right. So how do we meet those needs, Gina? Um, oh gosh. Was that a shut, well, the, shut the door? Somebody did you tried hear to, that? Yeah. Did you hear that? I heard a snap and a get out of here. <laughs> oh here. my gosh, that's hilarious. Nick just came downstairs and opened our laundry door and all I could hear was the laundry going. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to cover the microphone. I'm like, what is p- being picked up? Yes. <laughs> and here you're like, geez, Nick, Nicole, <laughs> Nicole's over here talking about the stomach's parietal cells and intrinsic factor. Would you, I'm would trying you please? To- <laughs> <laughs> relive my glory days of, of college. No. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you could hear that, <laughs> but he shut the door. So everything's good. Okay. So now that you say, I'm just really, I'm really kind of curious about this. Why supplementing with B12 wouldn't be sufficient. Like that kind of shocks me a little bit because what do we recommend to vegan, you know, clients or, you know, for me, vegan students is taking a, a B12 supplement. So basically what that's saying to me is that it's better absorbed with food, which is the case with most things. So I guess w- with that in mind, I would always suggest going back to my favorite, the nooch or nutritional yeast. Nooch is what they call it. What? Uh, because that is a- What? Nooch? Yeah, nooch. You've never heard of nooch? Is that a brand? No, it or is, the, I guess. That's just like street <laughs> slang for, <laughs> that's the vegan <laughs> slang for nutritional yeast? It is. Yes. Look it up. Oh, look it up. I, nooch. Mind blown. I'm learning yeah. so much tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Nooch. <laughs> Nooch. Good old Noochie. Um, it is a great source of B12. And it's since it's food based, I guess, I, I guess you can call it food, although it's kind of more like a supplement, but it's, but it's not, it's FDA regulated. So it's food. So I would, that would be my, my number one suggestion is taking some nutritional yeast and bringing it with you wherever you go and adding it to your foods. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Sprinkle your that shit on everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Are we both slap happy? Um, well, okay. Uh, my takeaway from that is, is, is yes, yeah, sprinkle, sprinkle nutritional yeast on everything. But yours probably, makes more sense though. No. Okay. So I said plant-based meats, fortified plant-based milks and, and supplement. So I think mm-hmm. that the supplemental piece though is realistically, unless you're sprinkling that on everything, is is probably that you're not getting anywhere near six micrograms a day. And if you're targeting the DRI as a vegan at 2.4, 
with poor absorption, you're never going to meet your needs. So I think you just have to shoot high. So you land among the clouds, right? Like Mm -hmm. just, yeah, I don't know. Okay. So what do you think that the average B12 supplement has? I have no idea. Okay. Neither do I, but I'm guessing it probably has 2.4 micrograms or less. So you're probably right. They're just not taking enough. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, this is interesting because I, I mentioned on, I think, two po- podcasts ago about pernicious anemia in my patient. Mm-hmm. And just FYI, I mean, metformin and B12 deficiency are linked. And metformin yes, is I've like in the top three most prescribed meds in the US. So mm-hmm. metformin is, I mean, basically in the water um, for our people. And I mean, so so many people are on that medication. This is just good to know. Um, I guess I'm just curious if more people should possibly be supplementing with B12, especially if they have a low if they lead a more plant-based lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Regardless, and metformin. Yeah. Regardless of their exercise status, it just seems, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about B12, honestly. Yeah. So um, are plant-based meats a good source of, of B12? I mean, you had that on here. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. So tempeh especially was mentioned. Oh. Yep. yep. Even though it's not from an animal? So is it fortified? I believe so. Yep. Okay. Okay. I think you'd probably have to make sure that you pick one that is fortified because I'm willing to bet that not all tempeh has B12. Yeah, probably. It has to be fortified. Because again, going back to where do you find B12, it's always from <laughs> the animals. Rumen. It's from the rumen of a sheep and a cattle. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. But which yeah, the, I think, I think you're right. Which is the stomach for anyone who didn't go through nutrition school right. and got to stick their hand in a r- rumen. Um, I never had to do that, thank you. Oh, you didn't? No, I did not. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but going back to what you said, I think it's, it's, it's important. Fortified, plant-based milks, make sure it's fortified. Yep. They do exist. You know, usually it's just calcium or vitamin D. There are plenty that have B12 in light of the fact that most people who are drinking these are vegan or a lot of them are um, and aren't getting enough B12. So they're fortifying with B12. Also fortified cereals, bars. There's other fortified foods out there that have B12. Yep. Yep. All right, moving along, we, okay, so the research is showing that vegetarian and vegan diets reduce muscle creatine stores. And so just a little background, creatine's performance enhancing effects are very well studied um, to show improved short-term high-intensity exercise performance, uh, improved muscle hypertrophy, and improved glycogen storage, as well as reduced oxygen consumption during exercise. So basically your muscles are just able to, last longer, if you will, for just to summarize there. And you're using less oxygen, meaning that you have higher exercise tolerance, um, Mm -hmm. able to do more with less, if you will. And so regimens designed to saturate muscle recommend as far as creatine 20 grams a day for three to seven days to kind of load, um, followed by maintenance doses of three to five grams a day. And there's tons of powder forms of synthetic creatine that are vegan friendly and readily available. I know my experience with creatine, um, back from probably my like marathoning days, I just heard creatine and it, it, there's something about the word that scared me. Maybe it was because I was always associating it with creatinine and I was like, you don't want a high creatinine. Um, right. But I just really don't have a ton of experience with it, but it was interesting to learn. And, and I've seen over the years that creatine has been extensively studied um, and is probably one of the most well-respected supplements out there. Um, do you have any experience with it? 
So I don't have any experience with it personally, but I will say I learned about it when I was in graduate school during my favorite class, which is my supplements class that basically took us through the whole gamut of different dietary supplements. This was, this was a big one. That was so seriously you, your favorite class? Oh my gosh, I loved it. But I think it had a lot to do with the professor, Dr. Maureen Garrity, who we're gonna try to get on the show actually. She was just amazing. So yes, it was my favorite class because it pertained to what I wanted to do. I mean, my first job was working in a grocery store where I literally had my office in the supplement aisle. Uh, so I was just, I, I loved that class. Yes. Do you think I'm a nerd? What, why, why are you saying that? Yeah, I just, I hate supplements. Like, I mean, oh I'm not God. saying I hate them, but like you, just for all the reasons we've already said, they're not always third-party tested for purity and potency. I mean, it's, it's just well, such a racket for so many people. It's hard. To, it's just so hard for consumers to navigate. And it puts dietitians, I feel like, in a very precarious place to be recommending things that is such a dicey well, just dicey was, water to get into. You obviously you've heard me on this podcast. I also do not. I'm not a huge fan of supplements, but this was why I love the class so much because I learned about them and how to educate, you know, consumers on how to best buy them and consume them. So that's why I was so fascinated by it because it was actually information that I could use yeah. on a regular basis. And I still use it. I mean, I still have those notes and it's, I mean, I probably look at them once a month. So I thought You're it was a very, such a dork. I love it. I know. I know. I love it too. <laughs> kind of like your, your obsession with diabetes. I'm obsessed with supplements. So creatine. I've never personally used it. I know a lot of people do use it. Here's my beef with creatine. No pun intended there. First of all, I didn't realize that there were, I was going to ask you about this, vegan friendly sources of creatine. Uh -huh. So you, you have on here that, they, that there, there's a yeah. synthetic creatine, which I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Obviously there's that. But the maintenance dose being only three to five milligrams, or I'm sorry, grams per day. I just really wonder how many people actually stick to that. Yep. Because honestly, I think the majority of supplements have way more than that. And people are taking them every single day for who knows how long. And there's not many long-term studies. So I'm wondering how this is affecting their, you know, the consumer's livers, um, uh, kidneys, kidneys, heart. Yep. So that just is, is really why I'm not completely sold on creatine. I am if you're using it properly. But then I also think if you're taking creatine to help you with your exercise, like when will it end? If you need it now, like unless you have like an end goal, if you're training for something, I can see. But if you're just using it for everyday exercise as a recreational exerciser, like we are, does that mean you're going to use it forever? Because if you need it now, like you're, you're going to want to use it always, right? Like why not just learn how to exercise on your own without it? Yeah. And I, and I have some people that I know are listening to this right now who I, I who I believe take creatine. And I, and I want to know why, especially specifically college students, I want to say, I see them taking this stuff all the time. And I just, I, I get nervous. I, I want to see the long-term, the long-term studies. And I have not, have not seen those yet, especially at the maintenance dose, which is only three to five grams per day. Yeah. That's so little. I mean, yeah, totally. I have the same thought as you. I, I think the, the rationale is more is better. Uh, and that Always, is such yeah. a slippery slope. I, I mean, the the doses that are recommended from this article, um, from this research are, I mean, 20 grams a day to saturate the muscle. Just, I mean, just remember that in a maintenance dose of three to five. So um, yeah. 
you know, no personal experience, but I think it's one that certainly has a lot more research done behind it than a lot of the others. And just knowing, I, I think it's good for our vegan and vegetarian friends to know um, that, you know, these synthetic sources are vegan and uh, that there's probably some potential benefit. Uh, we just, yeah, have a plan, right? Like when you're coming off of it and knowing that more is not better and all those things. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Whew, we didn't get too sciencey. A little intrinsic no, factor. It was but, perfect. <laughs> um, all right, Gina. Wrap us up. What's what about a mom win or favorite new product? All right, I've got a few things. First, wow butter. Have you tried it? No. So it's a peanut butter slash tree nut butter alternative. It is made with soy. I personally do not like it. I prefer sun butter, but my kids don't necessarily love sun butter. So I bought some wow butter. I put it on their sandwiches, wow butter and honey sandwiches in their lunch for tomorrow, actually. So I'll have to follow up with you on whether they like it. Just to, just as a reminder, I'm trying to figure out a good peanut butter substitute for my kids because they love peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and honey, but they can't have it in their lunches anymore. So I've already tried the 80, 88 acres um, seed butters and pumpkin seed butters. They were sort of a hit. They didn't love it. They tried, I'm going to be also trying the the chocolate 88 acres and see if they like that. We'll see. But anyway, well, butter, I will let you know about that. Also, in lieu of the fact that I am realizing, I like I said in the last episode about, what was it? Oh, the, the Q&A, that I'm not getting enough ALA or alpha linolenic acid, which is the plant-based omega-3 in my diet. I've decided to start adding chia to my yogurt every morning, which I've been doing. Um, actually for a while now, I might've already mentioned that on this podcast, but 2.5 grams of omega-3 in one tablespoon of chia. And to put that into perspective, the adequate intake for omega-3 plant-based ALA is 1.1 gram. So in my one tablespoon of chia, I'm getting double that, which is great. And it's super easy to do. I add it to my yogurt in the morning, mix it with some peanut butter. It's delicious. Of course, the only drawback is that I braces and they do still get stuck in my braces. Which I get off in eight weeks, by the way. Wow. Yeah, I'm super excited. I just found that out the other day. And then my last obsession, did you ever have, have you ever had Glory Foods greens, canned greens? No. Okay. When I was little, my mom used to always buy the Glory Foods canned collard greens and what other, other, maybe it's kale, kale, collard. What's the other greens that, it's mainly collard greens. Mustard. Okay. There's another mustard greens. Thank you. Yes. And they're seasoned and they are, I loved them when I was a kid, but for some reason I kind of just, you know, obviously I had them when I was a kid because my mom bought them and then I kind of just forgot about them. The other day, my mom brought over a jar or a can of these collard greens from Glory Foods and we had them with dinner. I forget what I made, but we, you know, we, we paired it with the dinner I made on Sunday and I remembered just how delicious these things are. And I have been adding them to the grocery list ever since. They are so good. It's basically like a home-cooked collard green. I love greens, um, especially like, you know, Southern prep greens. Obviously, I, I don't make them ever. I guess I could, but why do it when you can buy it in the can and it tastes just as good? I promise. I put them in the strainer, drain out all that liquid, you know, get rid of some of the sodium. They do come in lower sodium versions as well, but they are delicious. I will say my kids have tried them. Obviously, they don't, they don't love them. I say obvious because it's kind of an acquired taste, but I'm going to continue offering it to them. Maybe one day they'll like it like I did, um, but they're just so good. So give them a whirl. 
What about you? <laughs> I don't think mine is new. I think I mentioned it. I'm sitting here. I'm staring at the empty spreadsheet, racking my brain as you're talking. Um, and I thought I had something on here, but I, apparently not. So back when we did the protein bar taste test, which that's episode 20 something, I don't remember, but it's a great episode to go back and listen if you haven't. But we did not sample my personal favorite uh, protein bar, which is the Built Bars, B-U-I-L-T. Mm. I'm pretty sure you can only find them online, but I have one of those just about every day and why I like them is I'm not sick of them. Like oh. I, I get pretty sick of bars, but I am just obsessed with those, especially if they, I store them in the refrigerator, which you don't have to, but they just have the best consistency. And for me, that's the perfect, like light breakfast to go with some, but with something, I keep a couple in the fridge at work too. So it, and they're 110 calories and upwards of 20 grams of protein, like Somewhere between 15 and 18 grams of protein. Tastes great. Um, a little bit of sugar alcohol, but not much. Very moderate in carb. They're so good. But yeah, built bars. I want to say that my student, Casey, who listens to this podcast, eats those because I feel like I've seen them before, but because I just looked it up. I'm not sure. I think I meant to bring you one to Great Wolf Lodge too. Oh, man. I know. Well, it's not too late. I'll, I'll <laughs> try it. Time. I'll try it one day. Yeah, next time. Exactly. Fine. All right. You want, you want to read the review or you want me to? I'll read it. I'll okay. Read it. Okay. So this is from Valerie Sat X. <laughs> I recently started listening to the Dietitian's Dish podcast after hearing about it on another favorite podcast, The Girl Next Door, and was instantly addicted. We love to hear that. I listened to one episode and then started from the beginning. I'm about halfway through 2019. Nicole and Gina are in my age range and both have daughters that are close in age to my daughter. So it always feels like I'm listening to friends. I enjoy their podcast because they dish out good information without being too serious and not judgmental. Keep up the good work, ladies. Thank you so much, Valerie. That was so, so kind. Uh, all right. So moving on. And we love reviews. So keep them flowing. Obviously, every time we get a review, we get super giddy. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> all right. Coming up on March 21st, food sustainability and how to live more sustainably starting in your kitchen and your home. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish, Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds and you don't even have to write anything. Just fill out the stars. Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.